Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. How's it going on this fine day of President Biden's inauguration? It is going finely <laughs> in concert with uh, with that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Did you watch any of it? So I haven't seen like a running stream. I was working, so I kind of saw pictures and I was getting like updates on my family whatsapp group my mum being like "Ooh, isn't michelle's coat nice and then my nan being like isn't camilla's coat nice and you know all the important stuff yeah really important updates um (laughs) however i have to say michelle was looking absolutely amazing she always looks amazing i know she does it was like her birthday the other day wasn't it and they're just like, the Obamas are just too cute. <laughs> and Jill's looking great as well. They're all looking great. Yeah. All the women were looking... She is one great. glamorous professor. Yeah. What a dream. <laughs> I want to be a glamorous professor. I want to be a professor. Actually, I don't know if I do, actually. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. I like public history. But um, his speech was good, I think. Just lots of uh, reiterating, like trying to bring everyone together, which I think is necessary, not just in America, but everywhere, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's a crazy division. Yeah. Have you had anyone that you know have the vaccine yet? Um, no, I don't. I don't even know anyone who's uh, who's received like notification to get it yet. My, How um, old is your tiger mum? Uh. She is da, 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 not like you mean my auntie Maria, my like the one we've adopted into the family, or do you mean just my mum? Either one. Okay. Both of your both of your adopted mum slash aunt slash your actual mum. My um <laughs> my my mum is sixty, so she's not quite there yet for the not thing. Quite. And um uh yeah, my grandma Maria is eighty now. So she so should she be should, loaning up she for She should it have too. got it already. Yeah. She hasn't um, got it yet. So my grandparents have had both shots. My my two, um, my aunt and cousin who both work in the NHS have had, uh, one's had two, one's had one. Hmm. And my dad got the text as well mm. the other day because he's the oldest in that generation. He's 71. Hence why I said she should have got it by now. But um, the crazy thing happened to my colleague. She took her mum to go get it the other day. And she was like, it was like 6pm. It was a GP's practice and she was the last one. And the doctor came out and was like, we actually have Pfizer vaccines that need to be used today. They were calling people on the list being like, can you come down? And um, my colleague is like in a vulnerable category. And she had her letter with her. And she was like, maybe I could just get it. And she's like, yeah, let's just do you. So my colleague who is, you know, she is in a vulnerable category if she yeah. shouldn't have had it yet. Just because the Pfizer vaccine just run been yeah. stored like overnight. <laughs> no so. way. That's really yes. cool. So but does that, it, like, she needs to get the second dose though. They're going to be, she now like lined up for yeah. the second one. Well, they, they have the letter that says like, you'll be getting the second dose within like, okay, like three then. weeks or something. But now they've said that, you know, it could be up to three months because of oh. what's happening in Belgium with the factory. Like, the factory is being upgraded or something. Okay. Um. So, I guess we'll see. It's probably but, not the yeah, best time to upgrade going... a factory. There's, like, an online calculator that tells you how, like, long you're going to have to wait. It's, like, how many people are in front of you. And I did it today. It was, like, 3.5 million people are in front of you. <laughs> if that's the same one that I did, like, uh, on New Year's <laughs> Eve... It told me I wasn't going to get it to like 2024 or something. And I was just like, fuck that. I'm going on holiday before then. I don't care what happens. No, I will get on a boat like... and just fucking... <laughs> on, a, on a boat? <laughs> on a dinghy. On a Basically, I'll do reverse. I'll just do like a reverse refugee to go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> reverse refugee. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm bored of uh, lockdown now. now. Mm, I mean, no, that's not surprising. Yeah, everyone is. <laughs> Um, should we talk about some a person? Yes. Whatever, you've got some mysterious thing. I have. So, <laughs> uh, obviously we're not allowed to do anything at the moment because of lockdowns. But one of, the, one of the few things you can do at the moment yeah. is go to Highgate Cemetery. 
Yes, you can go walking. If you're within walking distance, yeah, you can find yeah. So that is what I did a couple of weekends ago. Nice. And while there, I came across this guy. So apparently, oh, he's got like a, an amazing tomb. It's, my, it's definitely like the best tomb in the entire place. Can you guess who it is? Oh, I know some people were in there, um, but I wouldn't be able to tell you who has the best tomb in there. But I know there are some people in there because I think um, oh, is Marks in there. Marks is in there. Um, and um, Oscar Wilde is in there. No, he's in Paris. No? Oh yeah, of course he's in Paris. I've seen it. Um, who am I thinking of then? There's some sort of poet slash author in there. Um, but I haven't been there in years, so you're gonna have to tell me. Okay. Well, it's not. It's not Marks. I am doing the famous pugilist Tom Sayers. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got like a team with like which is made of marble and it's got like a big dog sitting in front of it which was like his faithful canine companion wait he wasn't like buried with his dog no 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 okay but it was just kind of like because they were like because he took his dog everywhere like his dog was yeah. like later incorporated into the team but i mean the story yeah i mean like i only found out about him while i was like how i get century and like the story is quite crazy but i'm not gonna go into any of that until later, because it, otherwise it's just gonna it's gonna ruin the story. So I'll just right, I'll just start the from the beginning and we'll uh, <laughs> let's go. Right. So yeah, well I've already said his name. Have you ever heard of Tom Sayers? Yes, I have. Though now I can't, I I, uh, I wouldn't be able to like tell you anything about him, but I definitely know his name. Okay then. Yeah, I do. I have heard his name, but I I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about him. He's like a very early like proper full-on celebrity i suppose like sporting celebrity <laughs> but um so anyway let's start from the beginning so tom sayers was born born in pimlico now known as Tichburn street a slum of brighton uh, on may the 25th of may 1826 so it's not far from the royal pavilion um right which is kind of weird i mean like there's this lovely palace and then just slums just like a, a few like meters away or whatever but i mean like at the same time it's not really that surprising because like london's i mean like well london's like that still you've got like nice part of like nice end of the road and not so nice end of the road yeah that is so true like yeah. if you think of somewhere like the barbican yeah like that's such a, a good example of like you know you've got the houses and then right next to it you've got like and then this amazing building where the mm. barbican and like you know the bit in the middle that's all closed off oh yeah um and then you've got like council housing yeah right next to it though i've been in some of the old listed buildings the ones that are old council houses yeah and inside oh my god they're amazing and it's a yeah. great location it's just yeah. the outside that looks a bit like old and dilapidated. Yeah. But I mean, like, that's all going to be listed soon, isn't it? I this bet. one was listed that I went in. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I guess most people have, like, bought their, like, those houses and those flats now and, like, have done them up. Yeah. But I mean, like, I guess that's anyway. gentrification. Anyway, we're moving, moving on. So, he was born to William Sayers, uh, who was 33 when, uh, when Tom was born, a shoemaker, and his wife, Maria, who was 10 years her husband senior. I don't know why that detail was in there, but I thought I'd add it anyway. Uh, So, uh, as My Brighton and Hove, the website describes the area, behind the Dorset Arms in Gardner Street exists a narrow alley uh, that is all that is left of what was once Brighton's poorest area. Walking down this alley today and into the adjacent, adjacent Pym Gardens, you can take yourself back in time when it used to be this home to fishermen uh, with the alleyway strewn with entrails of fish, air putrid with the smell of rotting flesh and insufficient drainage. Some of the worst housing in Brighton could be found here, an area that housed over a thousand inhabitants. Many of the houses were described as mere huts with small gardens in front. I mean, at least they've got gardens. Like, that's better than yeah, what you get now. Absolutely. I mean, like, that's just luxury. <laughs> I'd love a <laughs> yeah, I'd love a I'd love a hut with a garden. You could live in a hut in our garden if you wanted. <laughs> Done, sold. Okay, let's build it. <laughs> uh he was the youngest of five children. Um so little was known of his early years. He may or may not have attended uh school at the age of ten. Just at the age of ten, I don't know why he that's probably did the thing. because that was like the law. 
Yeah, but I mean, like... Can you tell me what year he was born? It's completely gone over my head. He was born uh, 1826. Okay. May uh, 25th of May. Okay, so it actually wasn't law yet. No. It came into law during Victorian. That's just about pre-Victorian. Yeah. Uh, It's it's said that he was uh, barely illiterate. However, there is a handwritten note signed by Tom Sayers accepting a fight with Heenan, uh, which was his most famous fight. We'll get on to that later. So that kind of suggests otherwise. I mean, like, it's pretty badly written, but I mean, like, he's not, like, totally illiterate, it would seem. Because otherwise he's never written that note. Um, So by the age of 13, he went to stay with his sister Eliza and her husband, Robert King, a bricklayer. Uh, in London, and through him got a job as a builder. 13-year-old kid working as a builder. Of course he did. Of course this he was did. Victorian I mean, England. Woohoo! He's a bit old, actually. I think he should have been... Yeah, it should have been. You know, he should be working for a good three much. years. <laughs> the glory days. This is what Brexiters dream of, right? This is where we're going yeah. when they rip up the red tape. Well, that red tape. The glory days of child labour and no holidays. <laughs> Woohoo! Um... So while working as a builder, he commuted back and forth between London and Brighton. That's really lovely, isn't it? A 13-year-old boy just on the old commuter train back and forth. Oh my God, that is long now. That's like I know. an hour, an hour and a half now. <laughs> so that'd Imagine be like how long... three hours at least, I'd say. At least. And like the choo-choo train. And that's not me being yeah. facetious that literally <laughs> was a choo-choo train. Uh, apparently he took part in the construction of King's Cross Station. So I get to look upon his work every time I go for a run. That's lovely. Um, he also built the Roundhouse in Camden, which is uh, one of my favourite venues. That's, Love that's great. that venue yeah. so much. Um, so the Bare Naked Ladies there, and they were absolutely amazing. Oh, nice. They're my favourite band ever. I think I saw the Breeders there last movie. I can't remember. Anyway. anyway. Um he uh, he also did some work in Brighton, uh, working on the London Road, like, oh, London Road viaduct just outside the uh, the sea town. Sea is it a town or a city? Brighton. It's a city. It's a city. Um, oh, hang yeah, on. it's got a. It has got a th- cathedral. Well, really grand looking one. Yeah, um, I think it's a cathedral. It might just be a really big church, but it kind of looks like a cathedral. Like if it was a church, it would be a very big church. Hang on, let's have a look. Brighton, a city. That's like the first place that comes, first thing that comes up. That's a city. Oh, okay then. And if I city it's here, I love, I love Brighton. If I was like to live any, I mean, like, that's probably the only other place I think I could live other than London. Brighton and Bristol. Oh yeah, Bristol's pretty cool actually. Mm. <clears throat> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> it was while he was working as a bricklayer that he got his first taste of boxing. So, while working on construction of Wandsworth Prison, uh, Another nice. fine London landmark. He was apparently <laughs> struck by his supervisor for some minor infraction. Uh, so this supervisor has been described as a great big bully of a fellow. Uh, yet the young Sayers, uncowed, returned the blow. Punched his boss. What a badass. That's he like... Fired. That's every like 90s, noughties worker's dream, right? Like every That's like Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's what made WWE great. Oh um, Steve Austin, <laughs> can I just take a real quick sidebar? Yep. Me and Matt were looking at bad reality television on um, Amazon Prime. Yeah. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is the um, is the host of a show, I think it's called Redneck Island. Oh, yeah. Where they, yeah, where they put loads of rednecks on an island. <laughs> and they have to do tasks and stuff. And it, it's awful, but it has got Steve Austin as a host. Yeah. So if you are like me and you like bad reality television it's terrible but it's so unbelievably entertaining <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's that so after striking his boss it was decided to carry on the fight at the nearby common because that's what common lands for big old fights i mean that's what it was when you were school school days you know um anyway uh, it was reported that after a tremendous battle sayers prevailed knocking out his adversary knocked out his boss <laughs> Um, so that's it he had his first taste of combat and he liked it um, I'm good at this so I think he would have been about 20 now that's what, okay. when he had that big fight uh, so in 1846 he finally settled in London taking up residence in the notorious slum of Agar Town just north of where St Pancras Station uh, now stands 
So essentially um, where you live. Yeah, basically. Don't uh, store Dan. <laughs> named... You me last week, don't store Dan this week. <laughs> uh, it was named in The Guardian uh, in a recent article because kind of like about old areas of London don't exist anymore, um, as a disease hotbed. Um, yeah, so that's lovely. I live in what used to be a disease hotbed. Um <laughs> Apparently, the local council, or the equivalent of whatever it was, uh, then uh, failed to provide the area with street lighting or cleaning, and there was no sewage. So, lovely stuff. Um, Yeah, great stuff. In 1847, he met Sarah Henderson. He was only 15 years old. He was 21. Oh, nice. They they would uh, later have two kiddies, um, Sarah. Hopefully... like when she was over 16. Uh, yeah, yeah, this was 1850, so we three years later. She would have been 18, 17, 18. Okay, 18. 18. <laughs> um, and Tom, uh, when. Uh, da, 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 uh, in 1852. So they just gave their kids their own names because they have. I mean, like, a, a, a lot of imagination do. going there, going on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, like, Biden has obviously got the same name as his dad, and they're still calling him, like, Joe Biden Jr. It's like, what? don't you stop being a junior when your dad dies? JJ. Yeah. President you JJ. Thought, you just thought, like, you're not a junior anymore if the senior is gone. You, like, inherit it. Like, like, like a title, like Lord or something. He's dead, but he's not, like, erased. I suppose from... so. He's still, like, junior to that person that was alive. But, I mean, if he also known his son, junior, then, like, Joe, like jo, then how are you meant to... You can't be junior and then your son also be junior. You'd be the third. Like, um, uh, Michael... Who am I talking about? Like, uh, Martin Luther King the third. Ah. Uh, so then you yeah. start, like, getting on, like, so, yeah. So you take, like, take on, like, royal titles after that. Why can't you just be the second then? Because, like, that's better than Junior. Okay, so Tom Sayers was not a big man. He stood at only 173 centimetres and weighed just 68 kilograms. Wow, um, he's, like, only 10 centimetres taller than me. Yeah. I'm short. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like... Hang on, how much is that in foot? Uh, I'm 5'3", so he would be about 5'5". Five, five. Five, six? Yeah, yeah, five six. Yeah, that okay. is quite short, isn't it, for a for a boxer? But anyway, but that that's like part of the charm, anyway. So uh, anyway, at this time, boxing was still an illegal activity with no specific rules. Or <laughs> actually, that's not specifically true. I can't remember where I got this from. So there were rules at this point, but they were like very kind of like basic. Okay, so what were the basic rules? Hit the other person. There were no gloves. It was just basically two men beating the shit out of each other. Like pre like what we have now is like the Queensbury rules. So it's pre Queensbury rules. Um, okay. Da, da, da. So a loose set of rules had around this time been drawn up by famed fighter Jack Broughton. So he was a former champion. Okay. Um, in his rules, it said that there would now be refs. There hadn't been before. But still, there would be no round limits to the fight. So they could just go on indefinitely. Um, they would only end. There's no point scoring. They would only end when a man could not come to scratch. Um, so basically, he couldn't fight anymore. Whether he was like Does knocked that mean out, he, he couldn't literally like literally scratch the other person. Yeah, basically, okay. yeah. So like, you could fight at all. Like, it, like if he's just kind of like being pummeled, or if he's knocked out, or like, or if, like both his arms are broken, like, or like, or basically, if someone kind of like gave up for him. If it was just yeah. like it was just like a poor situation, and everyone was like, "Oh God, no!" Like his second or something. Um, fights could also end if broken up or forehand by crowd riot. <laughs> crowd that riot, like the best way in my opinion. Police interference or chicanery. I don't know what I mean. Like I guess that's just like cheating, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Or if both men were willing to accept that the contest was a draw. Um, okay. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Uh, so while fights could have enormous numbers of rounds, the rounds in practice could be quite short with fighters to, like pretending to go down from minor blows just to like take advantage of a 30 second rest period. So there's no like set time for like rounds like there are now, which is like three minutes now, I think. Yeah, um, well, that's what it is on Wii Sports. So. <laughs> um, 
Even though Broughton's era brought rules to make boxing more civilised, there were still many moves in this era that are now illegal in today's glove boxing. Uh, so grappling was allowed during this time, and many uh, favoured the use of the cross-buttock throw, I'm not sure what that is, or the suplex, <laughs> which is like a wrestling move. Um, I, however... It sounds deadly. <laughs> however, uh, grabs below the waist were illegal, so no German suplexes. Um, oh, no, hang on. No, you hold them above the waist for that, so you could do a German suplex. Anyway. Um, <laughs> clinching, um, also known as chancery, uh, was also legal and in use. So that's when you grab someone's head and like pull it down. And you can, like, which is definitely not legal now. Um, also, fibbing, where a boxer grabs hold of the opponent's neck or hair. And pummels in multiple times was also allowed. What? Just a little bit of Hair? fibbing. That's not yeah. allowed now. I know, yeah, that's really grim. Whoa, um, my ponytail feels heavy. <laughs> and... and none of them seem to have that short hair. They all had like, I mean, you know, like the slip back thing. But anyway. Yeah, um, yeah so the traditional bare knuckle boxing stance was actually designed to combat against the use of grappling as well as a block punch. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting little fact. Um, kicking was also allowed, apparently. Oh, you weren't allowed to punch someone while on the ground. That's That was considered bad form. Um, oh. At this time, obviously, bricklaying. I mean, like, bricklaying in the 1800s was unsurprisingly hard and very poorly paid. So, I mean, he was pretty good at boxing. So why not turn to bare-knuckle uh, to, to bare boxing for a bit of an income? Yeah, I mean, probably you're going to earn more. Yeah, definitely. You're gonna earn, I mean, so after being up his boss and... Earning a considerable reputation from a number of informal fights. I'm guessing that's just kind of like fighting in a pub. He decided to give up bricklaying and just try and make a living with his fists. So, yeah. So, his first contest as a professional fighter was on the 19th of March, 1849, near Green Greenhithe, Kent, uh, where he defeated Abe Crouch. Um... So this match went for six rounds, ending around the 13-minute mark. So quite a short affair, probably nothing to write home about, but he won, and he won pretty decisively, so it's a pretty good start. His second fight was a bit more of a draw-now bout. He faced Dan Collins on the 22nd of October, 1850, at Edinburgh, Kent. Um, However, the fight was interrupted after nine rounds by the local constabulary, um, so basically, someone in the crowd shouted coppers and everyone, including the fighters and the ref, which just legged it in like different directions. Um, yeah. So the fight was then moved and recommenced at Red Hill, but was abandoned uh, in a draw as darkness descended. So it just got too dark to fight. Um, so a rematch was scheduled. The two fighters met again on the 29th of April, 1851, at long reach, the result being a victory to Sayers. Um, Can I ask? So, um, yeah. How would he make money from this? Is it betting? Yeah, so you get a purse, basically, and whoever wins gets a purse. And it's normally about £100 for a fight uh, at this wow. level, and then it goes up. So, yeah, he's making quite a lot of uh, wow, that is dark. scratch there. Um, <laughs> so, during the first fight, before the coppers arrived, the fight had gone on for one hour and 52 minutes of 39 rounds. Wow. The deciding fight went for one hour, 24 hour, uh, minutes, uh, 44 rounds. Uh, so you can see the weird anomaly there with the boxing rounds. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but we still know that today's boxing goes 12 rounds max at three minutes a round. So that's like 26 minutes of and fighting after that, it's max. just like a draw, right? Yeah, yeah. Or it's yeah. just like done on points. So like whoever's like performed the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've, they went for like two hours and then the cops came and led to my way and like no one had been knocked out. Just two hours of punching each other in the face with like bare bare fists. That's just kind of crazy. Do that, Dan. <laughs> I don't think I could handle it. Yeah, that's just not my idea of a good time. But I mean like to be <laughs> fair, I mean I mean like I might be a bright bloodthirsty person, but I'm gonna enjoy watching that. <laughs> yeah, me too. But like that's that's because we both enjoy watching wrestling. Yeah. Because it's kind of like wrestling is obviously you know it's a sport but it's also acting yeah whereas this is full-on like real trying your hardest to knock someone out i guess i like um i like boxing now and i like mma but like even mma's got short rounds like there's like few rules but it's short rounds this is like 
barely any rules and two hours two hours of just pummeling each other ah right anyway Sayers next fight uh, was against Jack Grant for 100 pounds aside again um the fight taking place in Mildon Hall Suffolk so it's going up towards Suffolk former country um <laughs> on the 29th of June 1852 uh for this fight Grant had Harry Orm in his corner uh so it's like a former champion Whilst uh, Sayers was attended by Nat Adams and Bob Fuller. So these are like champions in their corner. So like this means like Sayers was becoming like a big deal by this point. The fight lasted 64 rounds and two and a half hours. Oh my God. That was just a marathon uh, with Sayers ending up as a victor. Um, Sayers' next fight was against Jack Martin, who was backed by Ben Cornt. The fight took place on the 26th of January uh, 1853 with Sayers winning in just 23 rounds and a mere 55 minutes. Oh. I mean, you demise your money back after that, wouldn't you? Like, what is that? Just be like, I was here for a three hour. Um... <laughs> uh, so now came Sayers' first and only loss. Uh, in 1853, Sayers challenged Nat Langham, who, uh, despite the absence of a formal weight division, was widely accepted as England's middleweight champion. Uh, so in today's weighting system, Sayers would be a middleweight, yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess, like, the weight system remains. So, like, it was the thing is, like, it wasn't really official, but, like, there was kind of, like, talk about it. But even though, like, obviously people have, like, grown, like, with, like, larger stature now than they were then... It seems like the weight categories were exactly the same then as they are now, which is kind of weird. Um, so the yeah, fight took place. Um, I mean, yeah, just like, just like how 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 better like nutrition stuff is now. You'd have thought it would change, but yeah, it seems the same. Um, anyway, the fight took place on the eighteenth of October, eighteen fifty-three, at Lakenheath, Suffolk. So this will say it say as tough as about. Today, obviously, he lost. Because um, after all, he was fighting a champ. Uh, a champeen. Um, it said that he was also sick at the time. I'm not sure what with. It didn't say. And coupled with his relative inexperience, it led to his downfall. So early on, the wily Langham gained the upper hand by <laughs> temporarily blinding his opponent with frequent blows to the eyes. Oh, Just my j- God. jabbing the eyes with a bald fist. Let that sink in for a minute, I think. So, I mean, like... That basically means it's just eyes swelled up. I mean, I just like blinded by swelling, just like yep. just his slits. It's horrible. Lovely stuff. Um, so the end came in the 61st round with Sayers unable to see his opponent. Uh, so basically, like he was just being like struck at will, and he was still reluctant to quit. So basically, just one of his seconds, uh, Alec Keen, was forced to throw in the sponge, which is like the old version of the towel signify the end of the contest so second I just like quit for him because it was just like it's just killing him we should probably he's, he's do like, something about that he's like blind <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed so once his eyes were healed Sayers demanded a rematch but Langham announced his retirement from prize fighting so he never got his revenge oh no unfortunately <laughs> so the fight went two hours and two minutes 60 rounds um, but still Sayers had fought well and the defeat did not damage his career and he was still in demand. Um, as a fighter, that is, not as a husband, not so much. Uh, that same year, he was he he was uh, to wed Sarah Henderson, by now old enough to marry without her father's permission. However, the marriage was soon in ruins and she left to live with another man. So that was like within less than a year. Um, oh, wow. But they had two kids already. Yeah, yeah, that already happened. Wow, well, um, good dad. So. <laughs> uh, around this time, he tried to set himself as a publican, which... Um, which was said to have been an expensive failure. Loads of boxers did this. It seems to be like as soon as they like got like their purse, they just kind of like bought themselves a pub, just as like a little income. Um, but most of them seem to be quite successful in this venture. But he apparently was not. So now he was broke, um, having lost his wife and his pub. To fill his purse, he took on George Sims, uh, described by the Boxing Chronicle, uh, Pugilistica. Just a cool name for a boxing <laughs> magazine. Uh, as a civil, well-behaved, courageous fellow, ridiculously overestimated by his friends. Um, this one-sided contest took place at Longreach on the 2nd of February, 1854, and Sayers knocking out his opponent in four rounds of fighting, taking oh, just wow. five minutes. See, I mean, that's... Yeah. 
Five minutes, 100 pounds. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, it's more than I make in <laughs> a lot more than five minutes. Uh, so this will be his last fight against someone in his own weight category. At this stage in his career, men of his own size considered say it's just too dangerous to fight. <laughs> so now, it was now that things would really start to take off for them. <clears throat> so this began with him when he found his very own Paul Heyman on the wrestling uh, reference there. Uh, <laughs> Mr. John Gideon. So John Gideon was a gentleman bookie, gentleman bookie, with influential and wealthy connections. He took a liking to Sayers after watching him fight Langham and stepped forward to become Sayers' manager. So he would guide Sayers through his most successful part of his career um, and the two would become firm friends. Like, he didn't screw him over. Like, sometimes you think, oh man, where's this, like, posh guy coming in? He's just going to, like, screw over, like, the uneducated Sayers. But that didn't happen. He was he was a good he was a good manager. Good. So under, under Gideon's influence, he took the bold step of challenging a leading heavyweight. I mean, after all, Sayers needed a payday. Yeah. He just lost his barb, he'd lost his wife, and since no man his own size would fight him, he had no other choice. So his his opponent was Harry Paulson. Um, so in convincing Sayers to challenge the heavyweights, Gideon was breaking convention. Um, it was only convention. It was never a formal rule um, that the men fought others their own size. It is now, but then it was just kind of like... I mean, that was like... There's not going to be a convention because it's illegal. It's just an illegal fight yeah. surrounded it's by men. Legal convention. But it's great there were like magazines that talked about it, like it was like a for- like a formal sport. Like there <laughs> it's like, just some men fighting. Magazines, but they're not yeah, true. Formal murderers. I suppose <laughs> they're like about murderers. Um. So if you gave our uh, our little sayers, uh, not much, give him much chance against a highly regarded uh, Harry Paulson. Um. When the battle was scheduled in January 1856, um, although Paulson was actually shorter than Sayers by uh, by an inch, he was described as a perfect hawk Hercules in the torso, weighing 12 stone uh, 67 uh, pounds uh, in hard condition, so like full on just like muscle, no, not that flab. That's so this fight, weird, though, because muscle weighs more than true, flab. yeah, but there was like, like a lot of boxes there, than... yeah. There was a lot of boxers around then, like back then, had like a lot of flab, a lot of uh, extra skin to uh, to pad them out. Uh, but to this guy was just full on muscle. Um, so this fight went for a hundred and nine rounds and three hours and eight minutes, just oh, full on oh pummeling. In the end, Sayer's hand was raised in victory. Uh, wow. So his convincing victory against a heavyweight uh, raised him to a new level in the boxing world. In January 1857, Sayers took on the venerable Aaron Jones. So the first b- uh, bout took place on Canvey Island in the Great Essex uh, yes. and ended in a draw despite running three hours and 62 minutes. Unsatisfied oh. with the result, Gideon got Sayers a rematch, uh, which he won in just two hours and uh, 85 short rounds. According to the Boxing Chronicler at this time, Fred Henning wrote, This battle brought the plucky Brighton boy still nearly, nearer to the coveted title. It was evident that giving away weight made very little matter to him. And he proved by his conquering of the two heavyweights that he must have some chance for the championship. So his friends were determined that he should have a try when the opportunity offered itself. And this, the opportunity would offer itself right now. <laughs> <laughs> so he would get his chance in the summer of 1857. Uh, da, 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 da. So, the articles for a fight between Sayers and the Tipton Slasher, William Perry, were signed on the 3rd of March, 1857. The fight was to be for £100 per side, plus the new championship belt designed by a Bond Street jeweller. The former one had kind of like gone missing. There was like this big, weird, like, kerfuffle about like the championship belt. Um, like one person said, like the person who had it had retired, but it's not actually true. Uh, I can't remember what the guy's name was now. Basically, like William Perry had like just won it off, like this other guy. Um, okay. uh, da, 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 da. So anyway, um, so this is kind of a crazy situation. According to one of the chroniclers of the Prize Ring, another one of these boxes. There's so many boxing magazines at this time. Um, 
Many thought it was a wild, mad, revolutionary idea to match a 10 stone, 10 pound man of 5 foot 8 against a 14, uh, 14 stone stunner of over 6 foot. And the latter, mind you, no duffer, but the champion of England who had won his title by hard fighting. Hard fighting. So Perry was so confident uh, of winning that he sold his pub in Spoon Lane, West Bromwich, and staked the entire proceeds on himself at six to four <gasps> uh, on the odds. Oh dear! Oh. I mean, it's bold. It's bold. Um, Very bold and stupid. However, although confident of winning, he did not underestimate Sayers. He didn't know a lot about him. He'd seen a seen a couple of fights. He trained hard for the fight. Something like. Got to cue the 80s Rocky style training montage now. They're both yep. going. Bu, 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 bu. Um, so the fight would take place on the 16th of June, 1857, on the Isle of Grain. An eyewitness gave the following description of the scene at London's Fenchurch Street Station uh, as the fight's ga- fight goers gathered to travel to the site. The frantic, noisy, Blackguardly rabble surging around the entrance to the station. The crowd of swells in fashionable shooting jackets and cloth caps all pushing their way with fierce eagerness to the ticket office as handsome after handsome disgorged its fare. The awful fights for tickets, the excited mob of gentlemen, publican, tradesmen, pugilists on the platform, the desperate attempts to repel the assaults of the roughs who made the most determined charges at the door. The terror of the non-sporting passengers, for it was an ordinary train, women screaming and almost fainting with fright as the swarms of big, broken-nosed men invaded the carriages in which they were peacefully seated. (laughs) Lovely stuff. During the fight, Sayers just demonstrated his ring craft as he moved swiftly, dodging the slasher's heaviest punches. According to one eyewitness report, Perry's tactics were at fault, as despite being uh, being slower on his feet, he tried to force the pace of the fight instead of fighting defensively and using his powers as a counter-hitter. In the end, Sayers won a convincing victory after just 10 rounds of fighting lasting 1 hour and 42 minutes. So now Sayers was a heavyweight champion of England. Yeah, he's a tiny heavyweight champion of England. (laughs) It would be only six months before his first title defence, although it wasn't much of a defence. Sayers' first vice champion was with Bill Benjamin on the Isle of Grain, once again, on the 5th of January, 1858. According to the sporting paper Bell's Life, Another boxing paper. In London, Benjamin's real name was William Bange, and he was a complete novice. I mean, like, I don't know why they put him up against a champion. <laughs> when you said he was a complete novice, I thought you were going to say he was a complete knobhead. <laughs> like, just the way you said it. <laughs> so Sayers obviously won easy in three rounds of fighting, which is six six and a half minutes. Just pummeled the guy. Pummeled the guy and took his belt home. <laughs> On the 16th of June, 1858, Sayers took on and beat the experienced fighter and former, former heavyweight champion. So this is the guy that the slasher had won it off. Tom right. Paddock on Canvey okay. Island, back down in Essex, of course. Um, so in this match, Sayers had picked up what, what had been his downfall, downfall against Nat. Sayers had been boxing the eyes, as Landon had done to him before. In the 21st round, Sayers, noting that exhausted Paddock could hardly see and was incapable of defending himself, shook his opponent by the hand and led him to his corner, prompting Paddock's seconds to throw in the sponge. Sayers' reign would continue. So apparently Paddock was a pretty bad shape. Like, he was a guy that was kind of big, but he also had, like, a lot of padding to, like... Yeah. Take care. He's had, apparently, like, bingo wings. That's why I could take a description I read of him. But he was a pretty good fighter, apparently. Um... On the 5th of April, 1859, Sayers fought a rematch with the much-improved Bill Benjamin, the guy he, like, whomped in three minutes. Uh, although his young opponent had tried, h- trained hard this time and gained some much-needed experience, he could not conquer the champ. Sayers came out on top again, defeating Benjamin in 11 rounds in just 22 minutes. On the 20th of September, 1859, Sayers accepted a challenge from the bright Birmingham-based Bob Brettle. The contest differed from Sayers' recent fights, and the Brett was a slightly lighter man, so actually going for a smaller one. Uh, in the sixth, seventh round, Brett dislocated his shoulder, so was able to continue giving the victory and the six hundred pound stake money to Sayers. That's a big payday, six hundred pounds. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was it. All the great and the good in English boxing has fallen to the champ. The competition in England vanquished. His next challenge would have to come from across the pond. <gasps> 
Wednesday has accepted the challenge from US heavyweight champion John Camel Heenan. In 1859, the sport of prize fighting, prize ring fighting, was in utter disrepute. So apparently, it was basically ignored, considered crass by everyone outside the outside the ranks. The fancy, as the followers of boxing were <laughs> known then, the fancy is a great name. Um, we think like the, the fancy would actually include some pretty fancy names, as as we'll see. Um, it was also the sport was also obviously illegal, which is why the fights were broken up so often. Um, now there was like a certain amount of leeway, uh, shall we say, when it came to these events, um, especially this fight. It would seem so. The Sayers Heenan fight caught the public att- imagination on both sides of the Atlantic. In the words of the Times, just like the Times of London, this challenge had led to an amount of attention being bestowed on the prize ring, which had never before received. Um, so who was this contestant? John Cam- Carmel. Oh, I thought it was Camel. It was Carmel. Carmel Heenan. So he was 25. Uh, he had made a belligerent name for himself as an enforcer, helping to rig elections in and around sweatshops uh, of the steamship dock guards in Benicia, San Francisco. So essentially he's a gangster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His gambling buckers and underworld buddies had nominated him as the all-American champ to face the plucky little champion of England. So, I mean, like, I don't know how it works, but it just seems like instead of, like, winning his belt through fighting boxing matches, this guy just, like, decked people for the mob. And they were like, yeah, now you're a boxing champion. Go fight this boxer. Yeah, you seem hard. <laughs> so Heenan stood at 188 centimetres. Uh, I got, like... I keep using no different denominators to find that in feet because that's uh, uh so that's uh, over six foot six foot two it's pretty big um even by like today's standards um and he was much larger and 40 pounds heftier than our boy um he was also nine years younger than Sayers born in 1835 despite this Sayers was made the two to one betting favorite uh, while in America, the New York Clipper observed that whatever we do, wherever we be, fight, fight, fight is the topic that engrosses all attention. So, I mean, like, everyone was like, into it. It's even said the Queen Victoria showed an interest in the fight. Oh. Um, now, of course, this was going to happen. We're all on Twitter. We know what people are like still now. Efforts and petitions of a number of concerned, busybody, curtain twitcher, civilians, civic citizens... To have the illegal fight presented came to nothing. Victoria they couldn't stop the fight. <laughs> couldn't stop it. The battle took place at Farnborough in Hampshire on the morning of Tuesday, the 17th of April, 1860. The transport from London... This is an illegal fight. The transport from London, London uh, to the venue was provided by South Western Railways. Like a proper train just for this fight to take me to this fight. Just chartered for to an illegal it, fight. You know when you get on the tube and there's like um there's a there's like the North London Derby going on. Yeah, yeah. And you're at Seven Sisters or something. Yeah. That's how I imagine it, you know. So this is yeah, it's just like a transport for it's like Glastonbury, only if Glastonbury was illegal. Like it's like the Alash Express doing buses to like one of those illegal raves that everyone got so pissed off about last year. <laughs> so So it's all full of the fancy. So who did the fancy include? First, the fight would be held in what was then the village of Farnborough, which is obviously a town now, in Hampshire. On lands owned by a member of the upper class, a senior member of the upper class. So the fight was hosted by a lord, like voluntarily. Possibly the Duke of Sutherland, the Marquis of Stafford, or Colonel Peel, uh, all of whom were in attendance. According to one witness, several members of Parliament were present, and among the no- uh, among the uh, nobility and gentry. So we're talking like the House of Lords and the House of Commons here. Yeah. There was also the great and good, such as literary luminaries Charles Dickens and William Makepeace Thackeray. Of course, Dickens loved it. He loved it with that. He loved it. And nestled among the nobility was one Henry John Temple, third Viscount Palmerston, the oh. Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and Ireland at that yes. time. Yeah. <laughs> Getting in on that illegal fight. Overall, there was about 2,000 people in the crowd. I mean, like, he's gone to an illegal fight. He's obviously into boxing. Like, he's got the power to, like, change the law. Nah, don't change the law. Just go to the illegal fight. <laughs> um, 
So Heenan won the toss for corners and placed himself on an advantage with his back to the sun. About half past seven in the morning, the contest started. According to one report, report Heenan had the best of the opening rounds, knocking down Sayers in the third and fourth rounds. To make matters worse, Sayers, uh, for Sayers, his right arm was broken in the sixth round, like properly snapped, warding off a blow from Heenan. Uh, so he had to fight one-handed for most uh, of the uh, f- as well. ferocious contest which went on for more than two hours. Um, however, in the next round, uh, which one reporter uh, called a fine specimen of stratagem and skill, Sayers struck several blows uh, around and on Heenan's right eye, which had the effect of closing it for the remainder of the fight. So he blinded the bugger. He loves that. I mean, like he went down to it once. Now he's like using it on everyone else. Yep. In the uh, 37th round, the fight descended into chaos when Heenan held Sayers around the neck on the ropes, which I think was actually illegal, one of the few rules. Um, so at this time, the police were skulking around the edge of the crowd. Just as things were kicking off uh, in like the uh, in the audience, someone shouted coppers, or whatever the common, common term was then, and everyone just pegged it, pegged it. Um, I mean, we all need to just take a moment to imagine Charles Dickens, the pro... Prime Minister Lord Palmerston and the slew of MPs and lords are running from the police. <laughs> Reveling that the glory of that image for a moment. Um, so the fight was then reconvened for a, and went a further five, five rounds, like a little bit further uh, away, just like a little bit down the road. Um, but things were getting out of hand and the police were spotted again at the edge of the field. So the ref called a draw. Uh, both of them were awarded championship belts and then the entire throng, including the fighters and the ref and the Prime Minister all made a bolt for it once again and that was it. That was the end of the fight. <laughs> Joint champions uh, of the world. I yeah. wish that's how they ce- celebrate the awarding of belts now. That'd be brilliant. Just like, go! Just peg it! Peg <laughs> it! You, know, um, you know we talk about sometimes like what event would you go back and see if you had a time machine? <laughs> this yeah, would be I, absolutely bloody brilliant. Yeah, definitely. This would be, off, this would be at the top of my list now. <laughs> <laughs> Just like watching Palmerston. Like... <laughs> Just getting pissed with the with something. the prime minister. <laughs> hey. um, so despite this, hostilities continued for some weeks outside the ring with the American camp claiming that Heenan had uh, been cheated of victory, and the British side insisting that Sayers had 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 the upper hand uh, at the end. Um, I mean, like Heenan was choking him. Come on, guys. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that our boy came on top there. Um, of course, money talks, so the differences uh, between the two men were pretty quickly patched up and both were awarded a specially made championship belt during a special event at uh, the Al- Alhambra Theatre in London on the 30th of May, 1860. The two men then toured England, Ireland, Scotland, showing off their prizes. And on the 4th of June, the fighters performed an exhibition about the Free Trade Hall in Manchester. I mean, they're getting a lot of money for this sort of like tour, so I'm like, fuck it, let's just draw, and then we can just get some monies in. And there, so ended Tom Sayers' storied in-ring career. Ah, oh, so he just decided to hang up his boxing yeah. glo- not gloves because it was bare knuckles. Yeah, just hang his, up uh... his hands. <laughs> After the Heenan fight of eighty-six, Tom Sayers never fought again. Uh, the people of Britain. Raised a public subscription. So it's something like it already like won his like purse and stuff. But he received a sum of three thousand pounds from like just the public, enough to fund a comfortable retirement. Um yeah, we've got to remember he had some pretty rich fans, including like the PM. Um <laughs> and his money was widely invested following the advice of John Gideon. So yeah, as I said, he wasn't a dick. He wasn't skimming money, he was a stand up manager. Yeah, the sort you'd want. Um <laughs> But uh, not content to sit on his arse all day, Sayers went into the circus business. In the autumn of 1860, Sayers was engaged by the American Circus Company, Howes and Cushing, a reported wage of £55 per week. So that's pretty good, plus expenses. Um, I think it was just like basically like performing boxing routines, uh, maybe like fake fights. Probably like just basically like pro wrestling, really. Uh, in eighteen uh, in October eighteen sixty one, it was announced that Sayers had purchased the circus uh, of House and Cushing's. So, like the per- company he worked for, he just bought it, um, as well as Jim Meyer's Great American Circus, uh, combining them to create uh, a champion circus of the world, which uh, would tour the country. So his little show that he put together featured numerous horses and riders, along with performing mules. I don't know what a performing mule does. But... I don't know. I... 
things that are a bit shitter than a horse. Yeah. Well, maybe it's like Bart tries to buck people off. Or like, is it like, you know, you see that mad stuff, like a mule like standing on an elephant's back and all that stuff? Oh, maybe. Um, also clowns. Because, I mean, like, what's the circus without clowns? Some trapeze artists. And Sayers himself giving the distra- demonstrations in the manly arts of self-defense. That's what he billed it as. Um, so Sayers took uh, Sayers, uh, Circus to Britain in 1862, but was sold off by auction in November 1862. Um, so, like, less than a year, owing to financial pressures. So it seems he wasn't very successful... I'm not a very successful circus guy, leader. <laughs> what you, I'm not sure uh, what you'd call that. Um, owner. Circus, what's it called? The guy ring, the ringmaster? Yeah, but he's he's like the owner. Yeah. Circus owner. Cir- circus, circus owner. Circusier. Circus, yeah. Let's go with that. If not, we'll add it, have it added to the dictionary. Um, so, auctioned off. You just auctioned off in bits. Uh, up for grabs on uh, November 6th. Uh, 1862 included more than 30 horses. The celebrated performing mules. So they were celebrated performing mules. Pete and Barney. I don't. I still don't know what they did. Oh. Uh, a mammoth tent capable of holding 2,500 people, plus other various paraphernalia, and the grand mastiff dog Lion. So let's learn a little bit more about Lion. So say his marriage had broken down in the mid 1850s, as we uh, as we heard. After which time he and his two children had been living with a married woman called Charlotte. Um, however, in early 1863, this relationship came to an acrimonious end uh, as the couple uh, appeared in Clerkenwell Police Court, where Sayers accused Charlotte of breaking his windows, and Charlotte accused him of breaking her furniture and throwing her out. So, a lot of smashing of uh, smashing of belongings. Yes. Of, of belongings. Um, but even with the breakdown of his relationship, he was never alone. He was always accompanied by his gigantic mastiff dog, Lion. Aww. Exactly how Lion came into his, his life is unclear. But the mastiff was certainly on the scene by early 1861 because mentions of the pet began popping up in the press. It's kind of cool. Just like he's still in the press. He's not fighting anymore. But they're just like, whatever he's about. Like, it's like the Daily Mail. It's just like, huh? Sales was out today with his dog. Um... So in the March of uh, that year, for example, the Sporting Life newspaper reported that Sayers had been seen near London's Haymarket, accompanied by a noble Mastiff dog, which looks as formidable as his master has proved himself to be in the pugilistic arena. Huh? Two months later, Frank, the, the Falkirk Herald, commented that Sayers, uh, Sayers was being accompanied uh, on tour on a tour of the provinces by a huge brown coloured English mastiff called Lion which appeared to be much attached to his master so I remember Lion had been put up for sale with the circus uh, several hundred people had attended despite uh, the pouring rains and biz flooded in when Lion went under the hammer I'm not sure which way to turn but Sayers who was present had a sudden change of heart and he ordered his secretary and treasurer a man named Reeves to step in and buy Lion uh, and the massive was secured for 21 guineas. So he brought back his own dog. <laughs> <laughs> Paid himself 21 guineas for his own dog. Um, according to the Ennis Killen Chronicle, the dog was heavily biffed. I guess that means they maybe got, went bankrupt. But it doesn't seem that way because he never, he seems to... From what I've read, he was like always pretty comfortable. Anyway... I don't yeah. know. Uh, according to the Ennis Killen Chronicle, the dog was heavily bid for, but it soon became evident that the master Tom did not mean to part with uh, with his with his faithful hound. And after the price had been run up to twenty guineas, uh, Beneath just stopped. They were just like, "Okay, we'll let him have it. It's his dog. Let's stop being dicks." Um, so safety reunited Sayers and Layout Lion became familiar sights to Londoners over the next couple of years as they travelled around together in Sayers' uh, mail. Um, Phaeton, a sporty horse-drawn carriage, uh, open open top, obviously. Basically, like his version of like a sports car. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But just a few years later, Sayers became ill in retirement. Uh, in retirement, Sayers had developed a drinking problem and was suffering from tuberculosis um... and diabetes. In December 1863, Sayers acted as uh, one of Heenan's seconds uh, in his fight against uh da, 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 i'm not sure actually it didn't say uh so yeah so they they patched up their differences enough that he would 
accompany Heenan to the ring. However, apparently it was clear from his appearance at the fight that Sayers was unwell and he was unable to assist Heenan during the fight, which Heenan lost. Um, Sayers had hev- bet heavily on Heenan, losing a hundred, uh, hundreds of pounds in the process. That's pretty bad. Um, to make matters worse, on January uh, in January 1864, legal proceedings were initiated against the fighters, seconds and other prominent participants in the prize fight and they were all fined 100 pounds each so that was an expensive day out yeah probably should have stayed home yeah uh in december 1864 sayers appeared in the betting ring together with heenan again uh the croydon steeplechase meeting where sayers was described as being haggard and thin and wretched um oh not wretched so i mean like he's uh, it's it's not looking good for him so while he was ill, it was reported that Heenan had visited him and spent some time in cheering up his uh, great opponent in Farnborough. Uh, so like, basically like Rocky and Apollo Creed in the Rocky films. So it's, uh, it's really sweet. <laughs> basically the um, same thing. It's exactly the same. In a, that's what the that's basically what that film's based on. This um, in April 1865, says was well enough to make one last visit to Brighton, appearing robust and strong. But by August, while staying with his sister, it became clear that the disease in his lungs meant he would not survive many weeks. He died while staying at a friend's home at number 257 Camden High Street on the 8th of November, 1865, in the presence of his father and two children. And so ended the life of great Tom Sayers. But his story doesn't end there. So, I kind of know about this guy from the Highgate Cemetery, as I said. And yeah. to this day, Sayers has had the biggest, most attended funeral in the history of the cemetery. Of everyone wow. that's been buried there. So, apparently, tens of thousands of people lined the streets and watched him from windows and rooftops as his cortege made his way from Camden Town to the gravesite. At the head of the procession was a brass band playing oh the re- a rendition of the Dead March in Seoul. Um, this was followed by a plumed hearse drawn by four horses carrying the coffin. Behind that was the champion's uh, phaeton uh, with Lion, the sole occupant, his dog. So they followed by six black coaches containing, amongst others, say, his two teenage children, Thomas and Sarah, his father, sister, and brothers, Charles and Richard. Uh, the funeral train was accompanied by various vehicles transporting friends and well-wishers. Um, so it said amongst uh, amid the uh, pandemonium, one st- one figure stood out for his calm and dignified de- demeanour, his dog lion. Aww. One London paper said, after the hearse came a rather well-known vehicle in which poor Tom Sayers, accompanied by his noble dog the mas- of the Mastiff breed, used to spin about town, drawn by a light dun pony and embellished with fusion of silver plating and a rug of imitation le- leopard skin. The rather well-known vehicle, a slender four-wheeled species of Phaeton, with the two seats placed dos a dos, had a dodo. I don't know. Um, had a black velvet pool thrown over the dividing rail, and the dog laying in full length on hinder seat rested his great head and broad ears, and drooping dewlap on soft sable drapery, furnishing forth a picture that Sir Edwin Landseer might make a pilgrimage to paint. Oh. So yeah, basically London's Paul Mall Gazette decided the dog as a chief mourner. <laughs> it explains not Mr. Sayer's wife, not his father, nor his children, though his son and daughter were said to be somewhere in the procession. Didn't even know they were there. Um, but a great brown dog, the bereaved animal occupied a male pa- uh, phaeton alone, a man leading the horse, and was attired in deep mourning as the breadth of his collar, which was bound in black crepe, would permit. Sporting Life said the event was the biggest funeral service uh, since that of the Duke of Wellington in 1852. Actually, I think his uh, funeral was actually modelled on the Duke of Wellington's. Um, and it also described a uh, lion stretched in the back seat of the fa- as a phaeton um, as, uh, as the chief mourner. So there are differing accounts as to what happened when the procession reached the cemetery gates, with some papers reporting violent clashes between the police and the crowd. The Daily News described uh, a surging disorderly mob hand to ha- in hand-to-hand combat um, 
with officers and drunken roughs and vagabonds who succeeded in forcing their way inside before clambering onto tombs to get a good view of the proceedings. Sporting Life, on the other hand, accused rival papers of publishing Farago of rubbish and said that the many hundreds that swarmed into the cemetery behaved themselves with marks decorum. But whatever the truth, Lyon continued to behave impeccably with the Daily News commenting, All this time the noble brute in the dog cart looked on with stern composure as if to prove his superiority to the degraded wretches around him. (laughs) (laughs) So finally, after a short service in the cemetery chapel, Sayers, plain black coffin with Blorus nameplate was lowered into the deep grave, at the head of which was a widespread holy tree with his ruddy berries just appearing. So, one last little bit. What happened to Lion? I wanted, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, who got Lion? <laughs> so in the aftermath of the funeral, Lion, despite his high public profile, find himself, ah, found himself in legal limbo and facing an uncertain future. Unfortunately, the poor hound was put up for auction along with Sayer's possessions, such as like his belts and whatnot. So it's a pretty tragic fate for such a faithful companion. Yeah. For, like a life. So first he was purchased by William Perkins Warner, landlord of the Welsh Harp pub, where Lion had also almost been sold three years earlier for, for those 39 guineas. This wasn't a terrible fate. Warner was actually a close friend of Sayers, so much so that he'd been uh, in the fourth of the six black carriages of the uh, funeral cortege. Um, Sporting Life even described him as one of Sayers' foremost supporters. So he was like no stranger to, to the dog, so that's pretty good. So Ends up with someone that he knew. As I said into his new life um, at the pub, uh, which according to contemporary accounts, boasted a beautiful adjoining garden planted by Warner. So he had like plenty of place, uh, space to run around. Plans were already been drawn up by Sayers and Morris for a permanent memorial at his grave to be funded by public donations. By September 1866, the monument, complete with recumbent lion, was in place. Uh, so that's the team you can see uh, at Highgate today. Yeah, if you've got a spare afternoon and you live in walking distance. Go check it out. So media reports at the time in papers such as the Cardiff Times revealed that the worthy memento was made from Cillian marble by sculptor Morton uh, Edwards and weighed a total of eight tonnes. Marks eat your heart out. That's uh, yeah. That's how it's done. And so, yeah, there immortalised, Lion has lain faithfully next to his master for more than 150 years. So he is buried with a dog? No, 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 because he wasn't actually put there. Oh. What happened to that? So he didn't actually stay at the uh, at the Welsh Heart for that long. Oh, um, okay. So Lion would experience one final twist in his life. Um, for reasons unknown, his own unknown, his new owner, Orna, announced the magnificent, magnificent Mastiff would be auctioned off again at the Harrow Racecourse during uh, a meet held on the 22nd of February 1867. He keeps getting auctioned off, this poor like dog. Maybe he thought he could make some money from him because he's like famous. I think that's what it was. But I mean, like, as a friend, you would have thought he would... uh, But I mean, maybe he fell on hard times. Well, accounts differ as to what happened next with some papers saying Lion failed to sell and others reporting that it had been purchased for 46 guineas, a discrepancy that may be explained by the buyer stepping in immediately after the auction and negotiating a private transaction. So, like, yeah, it looks like someone like came in afterwards and, and uh, yeah, arranged like a little deal on the side. So the identity of the new owner appears to have been deliberately or somewhat mysteriously kept under wraps, uh like initially in the in the papers. The only clue as to Lyon's um, new home came in the publication um, Bell's Life in London, which revealed that he had been sold to a nobleman for a large sum, and the dog goes into Lancashire. So for several months, local locals appear to have been intrigued by the unexplained presence of a lav- and lavish attention paid to a huge hound in the country estate of Sir Henry de Ho- uh, Horton. Um... The Chronicle said, for some time, the large dog has been kept by Sir Henry de Horton's gamekeeper at Walton. The great care and consideration shown him, his keep being estimated by the villagers at about £40 a year, made it apparent to the observing eyes of the gossips that the dog was in some way eminent, and various were the conjectures hazarded uh, by them as to his antecedents. Um, So they believed he was a famous dog. 
Uh, good, good, by the way, Sir Henry was the ninth baronet of a family which um, was one of the oldest and most distinguished in Lancashire, having owned lands in the county since the reign of King Stephen in the 12th century. Wow. So that's quite a benefactor to have. The article concluded. This week, however, their curiosity has been gratified. Increasing age and infirmity has necessitated the destruction of the dog. And accordingly, on Monday, on Monday last, he was shot. Because that's what they did. That's like yeah. being put down in those days. Just get a gun out and shoot it in the head. It's really harsh, but I mean, yeah. But quick. Yeah. Uh, it had been trans. It has been allowed to transpire that he was formerly the property of Tom Sayers of Prize Ring Celebrity. The paper added that the animal was Sayers' constant companion for a number of years and concluded he was buried with some ceremony near the large cedar tree at Walton to Dale. So if you. If there was still a cedar, cedar tree at Wilson to Dale, and anyone lives near there, the dog might be there. Well, not There's much nine. of him. <laughs> and so there ends the life of Tom Sayers and his faithful dog, Lion. Oh. I mean, yeah. Short and brutal, kind of. Yeah. Because, like, Pretty cool, he though. seems quite young when he was died, right? Not like. Yeah, he's 39. Wow, that is yeah. Young. That's like only like four years older than you. I know it's pretty brutal. <laughs> I'd probably be dead by now if I lived back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie about it. <laughs> now I reckon you'd be like a wizard old a- Asian man, you know, with just like a long whisker beard. Yeah, yeah, you'd be one of them, <laughs> and I'd be like a crazy old, like kind of like in our picture on our logo, everyone. Yeah, like a crazy That's exactly old Victorian woman. <laughs> Just drinking gin. Just like <laughs> with my weird Asian friend. Everyone's like, what? how does that old white lady know this Asian man? Um, that was cool. Did you think of that because you saw the grave? Yeah. Like I had no idea who he was, I can tell, uh until I went to to Hargate Cemetery. So Yeah, that's threw up a really good one for me. So This is where we uh, get our ideas from, guys, just yeah. walking around. <laughs> Uh, it's quite a long one, so should we yeah. wrap, wrap it up? What are you having for dinner? Um, I'm going to make some kind of like chickeny pasta with some creamy white wine sauce. Ooh. It's going to be delish. How about you? Um, I've got some no fish fish cakes. Oh no! Um, from the M&S range, which is like, you know, sometimes they do like buy it today because it's going off today so oh, it's yeah. pound. And, and Matt's going to have actual fish cakes um, but we are, are again once again going to Sainsbury's after this so, are you? yeah venturing out to COVID land yeah good luck thank you <laughs> um, everyone please subscribe wherever you're listening to this and review us and give us those five stars thank you very much sweet sweet five stars and follow us on the old social media uh, at, you, at Have You Ever Pod uh, on the old Instagram and Twitters. Yes, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.